up everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Retro Encounter. Unlike our normal episodes, this is going to be a bonus round episode, where we kind of get a little off track from old games, we talk about something fun. Um, like different old games. Or an old system. Bum, bum, oh, okay. Yeah. So, today we're here to talk about the Super Nintendo. Um, but before we do that, I want to introduce everybody that's here. Um, as always, I am Josh Curry. With me is Davey Tesnovich. Feeling limber. And Mike Solosi. Yeah. Hi everyone, this is Mike Solosi. I'm Monsoon on the RPG Fan Boards, and I love the Super Nintendo, and I'm excited to talk about it. You sound enthusiastic. I am enthusiastic, Josh. I, I mean, it's, it's probably my favorite system for RPGs ever. Um, and it, it was the system I first played RPGs on. It has a ton of awesome games. I, I love the Super Nintendo. No two ways about it. It's one of those things that, uh, just because of a lot of people, at least a lot of people that I talk to, their age, it was a very pivotal system for it. It was either Super Nintendo or the Sega Genesis, and that's kind of like what a lot of people grew up with in that age. I think mm -hmm. you have a very different perspective on gaming, depending on which one you had, but everybody mm -hmm. kind of has a soft spot in their heart for one of the two. Yeah, and for me, it's the Super Nintendo and not the Genesis. I uh, I was not really into Sega stuff at all until I bought a Dreamcast in like the early two thousands for twenty bucks and became a and became a Dreamcast hipster for a few years. But I, uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, the Super Nintendo was not my first system. I had an, I had an NES before Super Nintendo, but it was the first system I played a lot of RPGs on, and. Uh, my first RPG was Final Fantasy IV, even though I thought it was FF2 at the time. And uh, it, it, it really sort of created the monster. Like me just being, going crazy and trying to find all of the great uh, Japanese RPGs for the system. What, what about you, Davey? What's your, your history with the Super Nintendo? I, uh, I also grew up with the Super Nintendo. Like I was, I was constantly running games and uh, just playing through everything I could find. Like I would, I'd be searching, searching for RPGs, uh, but I also grew up with the, the NES, and I eventually did get a Genesis, but that, like, kind of just turned into a Shining Force machine, um, but the Super Nintendo just, like, had so much gold on it, like, so much content for me, and, um, yeah, it, it really shaped who I was as a gamer. So, Super uh, Nintendo... Uh, one one other thing I want to add, and I, I think I think I suspect Davy, you maybe be are in a similar boat than I am. In the early two thousands, I sort of you know in when I in my young internet days, I learned that there were a bunch of awesome Super Nintendo or more accurately Super Famicom games that the United States never got. So I discovered emulation for the first time, trying to play uh, those missing Super Nintendo RPGs. Like Psycho Nensetsu 3, which I was sold as Secret of Mana 2, and uh, and a bunch of you know missing uh, Super Nintendo games, and I I went a little nuts emulating Super Nintendo stuff in the early 2000s, and it you know made me only like the system more. Well, it was stuff that we never had access to otherwise. You know, like if we if we were kids growing up in Japan, like we could have scrounged up money and like gotten these games eventually. But, like, just mm -hmm. the idea of these games just, like, after the fact, surfacing and just, like, this that was only, like, a couple years after the Super Nintendo was still vital, you know? 
It's like uh, stuff like the Star Ocean translation, the Bahamut Lagoon, uh, Tales of Fantasia. Like mm-hmm. most of those games, like well, actually not most of those games. Most of those games ended up coming out later, um, like especially on the PSP for some reason, and lots of enhanced versions would come out uh, with really really late translations. And those are great versions of those games, but like when you're growing up at that time, when you ran across a fan translator, it was like this magical, wonderful thing. Like it was like finding a whole new world that never existed before. Yeah, exactly. And it's probably worth mentioning. Um, like RPGs were considered uh, niche or uncommon in as you know as Americans playing uh, playing video games in the '90s, where like they were very popular, but the ones that were popular were Mostly, like, the big square titles, right? And, um, but it's worth mentioning that, uh, in Japan, RPGs are the biggest, most popular genre. And there are, like, dozens, if not hundreds, of bad Super Nintendo RPGs or Super Famicom RPGs that people probably rightfully thought wouldn't be worth sending to the United States. So, I mean, like, and, like, and there was a lot of, and, I mean, when I was emulating stuff in the, uh, in starting in the early 2000s it was a mind blow that there were that there were three super nintendo fire emblem games two super nintendo dragon quest dragon warrior games uh again there again they uh a, a, another mana game that when secret of mana was one of my all-time favorites it was it's it, there was a, a wealth of it was like you know discovering the console all over again when um just seeking out uh fan translations of old super nintendo rpgs well, a lot of a lot of that stuff, like a lot of them, were pretty bad. Like, and that's why they didn't make it across. Like, they didn't sell well in the first place, or they were just clearly bad critically. Um, but a lot of them were just swan songs that didn't make sense to translate so late into the console's life cycle. Like the ones I mentioned before, like uh, Bahamut Lagoon and uh, Star Ocean came out really late in the Super Nintendo's life cycle. So, it, like, you still see that happen today. When something is announced late in a console's life in Japan, like, I always still get worried. Like, I guess it's just part of my DNA now. Yeah, there was one, um, it's not an RPG, obviously, but there was one Mega Man game, uh, Rockman and Forte, or Mega Man and Base, mm-hmm. that came out, I think, in, like, 97 or 98. Like, super late for a Super Nintendo game. But um, I, I don't think the United States got the SNES version, but we did get it on GBA a few years later. And it's and it's a pretty all right Mega Man game too. Yeah, yeah, it is. So you'll hear that I'm kind of like oddly quiet. So I had a Super Nintendo. Um, I had the best game in the history of video games on that Super Nintendo, which was Mario All Stars, that included Super Mario World on it. Um, that, that's a hell of a that's a hell of a package. Yeah, which it, I I will not even like. We can't even have an argument. Like th- that is the best game of all... First of all, Super Mario World by itself is probably the best game of all time. But then you put it in the same package of all the other Marios, and it's like, yep, no questions asked. Boom, done. Yeah. Um, but I don't... I still don't really understand how any of this happened. I was probably like, I don't know, three or something, I don't know. And, like, Genesis was doing all of its, like, ads with, like, all that attitude and this coolness, and look at Sonic, he runs so fast... And I don't remember any of the build-up, but at some point, like, my Nintendo just disappeared, and for Christmas I got a Genesis with Sonic 1 and 2. Um, 
And so maybe, I, I guess, maybe that explains why everybody's like, oh, you hate Nintendo. I don't, but I didn't, so, like, I, I missed out on a lot of that, like, I didn't have the Super Nintendo, and then because of that, like, I didn't ever saw, like, the value in 64, so I, I like, skipped everything until the portable devices of, like, Nintendo Advance and, like, Game Boy Color, I guess, too, but, um, I was on the Genesis side, so I missed almost the entirety of the Super Nintendo, like, I didn't have any of these temple RPGs, I didn't play, like, any, I didn't play Zelda back in the day, um, and it wasn't until they started re-releasing the classics on uh, DS that it's like, oh, these games are fantastic. That's when I first experienced Chrono Trigger. That's when I experienced Final Fantasy IV. And I was like, these, these games are unbelievable. Like, these came out years and years ago, and they're they're probably this year were actually being like one of the best games of the year. And it's it's a re-release. Um, but yeah, like I I don't have that same kind of like nostalgia for Super Nintendo because it just that wasn't part of my childhood. I know everybody like then wants to make the jokes like, "Oh, you got Genesis! Oh, that's so terrible!" And I was like, "I, I was really happy with my Genesis, but that's a, I guess, a different podcast." <laughs> Literally, probably, yeah. Um, and now, and now, Sega and Nintendo are such good friends that I can get a lot of the Sega games I missed over the years on the different virtual consoles. Yeah, it was so weird. Yeah, I haven't played them yet, but I have. Uh, I think I have Wii Virtual Console copies of Fantasy Star three and four, and Gunstar Heroes, and a couple others that I that I I will get to eventually, maybe. <laughs> and and I'll readily admit, like, and we've talked about this, I believe, on the podcast before. I I wasn't I wasn't big into RPGs back then, um, it, or even like when when I was, I didn't realize that they were RPGs. Like I I I played. Uh, all of the Mario RPGs that were like on DS and whatnot and Game Boy Advance, and I was like, I didn't realize that like those were RPGs. Like I'm playing a Mario game or like Pokemon. I'm going on catching critters. Like that's like snuck in the RPG and tricked me, you know. Um, yeah. But I like I, I I back then I was like I was playing all like I played a lot of sports games and for like the Genesis I was like super super happy and I, I always I loved Sonic but I, I always really missed Mario and that that was like that was always what was sad for me is I, I didn't have Mario and that it wasn't until like the DS that came out. I was like, wow, I really missed, I missed a generation of games that I would have really enjoyed. Um, and then I'm in mean, that like classic adult thing where it's like, Hey, I have money. Like I'm going to like go buy a super Nintendo or I'm going to like track down all these games and Hey, eBay, like, isn't that great? Um, and now I'm spending like hordes of money that I probably shouldn't on stuff that I know people just tell me to, to like pirate, but just seems like not gen like genuine about it i guess mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah so that even everybody's like hey josh isn't being like his loudmouth usual self it's because I, I just don't have a lot of those nostalgic experiences with the system well i will say it's been really nice seeing like you mentioned the, the resurgence of these games in the form of like digital services and stuff like like mike was talking about fantasy star and like when he was talking about uh, Sega collection, I assumed that it was going to be a Shining Force one, but Fantasy Star, man, those cartridges are so rare. Like, it's so nice to see that stuff come back and people to have a legit way to get a hold of this and, like, see some of the DNA and, like, see which ones hold up, which Fantasy Star 4 definitely does. Um, but, I don't know, it's it's nice to see, like, modern and, and young people see these games and, like I said, the DNA of the genre and, like, 
I don't know the strengths and weaknesses of different approaches. Yeah, and they're they're uh, specifically the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. They they were so so entirely different. Like I think younger people for sure that are, like grow up with like the PS4 and the Xbox One, like they yeah. will not understand. They will not be able to understand that because you look at it and it's like, well, all the games came out everywhere. Like, it's the same. Like, hey, I get my Halo here and I get my Uncharted here. But for the most part, we get we get all the same stuff. Like, maybe I have to wait a year to get Tomb Raider, but I eventually get it. Or, hey, that Minecraft, that's everywhere. Um, yeah, like, if you look at the Xbox One controller and the PS4 controller, there's differences. But they basically, they have, you know, a lot of the same functionality. You know, one, uh, one D-pad, two sticks, four face buttons like uh several triggers on the shoulders like it's th- those it's basically the same and games are designed to be played on both systems but the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis had hugely different controllers like yeah. and uh, and like the Super Nintendo's four face buttons are basically the standard now but there are so many differences between those two systems that even different versions of the same game would be hugely different like like playing Street Fighter 2 and the Genesis you had to press start to switch the A, B, and C buttons from punches to kicks. Oh, it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> and uh, it was... It, so, it made it but, so it was basically unplayable. Like, you you couldn't even begin to consider playing that. But then you look at, if I remember correctly, Genesis had blood for Mortal Kombat, and Super Nintendo did not. Yep, and the uh, the Genesis version of Aladdin was way better. There's was there's so a bunch good. Of, yeah, there, there's a bunch of specific examples. But we, we should maybe start talking about the uh, Super Nintendo again. <laughs> Because it's ostensibly the theme of this episode. You don't Yo, want to talk about Genesis with me? I just need to say, every time someone brings up Street Fighter 2 on the Genesis, they neglect to mention that there were six-button pads. Yes. You just had to go get a six-button pad, dude. And yeah, then I, it was awesome. It was fantastic, then. But for the... Yeah, yeah it, if, you, if, you got, if you had a Saturn-style pad, then it was good. And you could actually buy Saturn-style pads to play Street Fighter 4 on the PS3 or 360. They... They Mad Cats made a couple of those yeah. and they were great. So Mad but, Cats makes everything. <laughs> yeah, well. crap out everything. Um, but yeah, let's talk. So we kind of went over our histories. Let's talk about some of our favorites. Um, we kind of touched a little bit on it, but let's, let's talk about like one or two like really really standout games for you from that generation. Um, let's we'll start with well, you, Davey or Mike, I guess. Sure. No, no, Davey can go ahead. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh. It's really hard to narrow it down like that. There's a lot of games I love for the Super Nintendo. Um, I guess I'll take the hit and say the one that everyone's thinking, in the Chrono Trigger. Like, that game, it's amazing how well that game still holds up. Like, just the pacing of it. The Like, when, um, when my wife first played Chrono Trigger, I told her, like, it's an RPG, but it weirdly feels really fast and arcadey. And, like, it was the first time I thought about the game that way. And it kind of, like... I had a paradigm shift when I looked back at Chrono Trigger. Like, I don't remember Chrono Trigger in menus the way that I remember so many other SNES RPGs. Like, the they had a really light touch with the UI and, like, just the, the, the small horizontal bars that signified combat and, like, everything being in the same uh, animation style and, like, what we would t- today call the same engine. Like Yeah, well, yeah, there's no, no cutaways for battles. Yeah, it's seamless. And, like, people still struggle with that in RPGs today. Like, look at Tales of Zestiria. Like, that tried to have seamless battle transitions, which were already less seamless than Chrono Trigger. 
and they totally wrecked the battle camera. And it's like people are still struggling trying to get this flow of like perspective and changing from field movement to battle. Like it's amazing that it was so perfect and like that game just feels like a steady stream of, of just game like all the way through and rpgs almost never feel like that and i feel like that's why that game touches so many people that don't even that aren't even fans of the genre um fans of the genre yeah, love this game yeah I, I i love chrono trigger too it's it has really appealing characters the story is not is not hugely long i think even if it's your first time playing you'll probably beat it in 20 or 25 hours yeah which is right. which which is less than, you know, a lot of media RPGs of the era. But, uh, like, the story just continually raises its stakes at a, at a nice pace, and before you know it, you're fighting, you're fighting the Lavos core, and it's awesome. But, uh, and also, it's, it's sort of interesting. Um, I, I, I don't know if we'll ever get a Chrono Trigger game um, ever again, because... It it was literally the like the RPG titans of that of the that day uniting for a dream project because it was mm-hmm. it, it's it's the writer and artist from Dragon Quest with uh a, with like Square's team of all stars including the the creator of the Final Fantasy series and it was it, it's awesome like Chrono Trigger is beloved all over the world even though Europe didn't get it until the PS1 version several years later. And yeah, everyone likes Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger rocks. Um. Also, uh, not as popular, but pretty good. Uh, Lufia Two. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about Lufia Two, Mike. Like, mm-hmm. just this, the the integration of uh, the dungeon puzzle solving and the RPG battle system. Like, it felt. It was a really good. Uh, chocolate and peanut butter scenario at that point in time like took two extremely popular genres that the venn diagram of which was almost totally overlapping like between like a zelda game and a turn-based rpg at that time um and it just like i don't know having something to do between those random battles and like the fact that battles weren't even random was a different thing but uh they weren't were they mike no the um uh, enemies appeared on street on screen and, and you could when, affect them with your sub-weapons, like wild arms, right? Y- yes, and also whenever you moved, they moved. So uh, you could you could plan you could strategically plan out uh, avoiding monsters or having them chase you or mm. having them ign- ignore you. And so not only are the RPG mechanics rock solid, uh, the the puzzles are really good and really challenging. I think that was one of the first games I looked online for help with. Oh man! It, because in the, in the second half of the game, the puzzles get really brutal. I literally have a childhood memory of, like, drawing the, a puzzle room that I was in and taking it to school and asking, like, all the kids in my class and asking my teacher how to solve this puzzle and, like, explaining how the puzzle worked to them and just, like, spending an entire, like, real day of my life, not just, like, my playtime as a child or whatever. But, like, yeah, that game got pretty challenging i guess it's hard to say because i was really young but replaying that game those puzzles are still pretty rough yeah i was i think i was 12 or 13 when i played it and um so i like uh like like help websites were around this this would have been like 98 99 ish Hmm. but uh but but it was hard to find anything about it and just a couple dungeons in the latter third of the game really killed me and they were got really t- were the ones that were giving you trouble though some of the red block yellow block ones 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's one of the ones. I, that's the one I took to yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there were two dungeons that had those, and the second of those two had just really challenging puzzles. But um, Lufia Two, it's the only good game in the Lufia series, which is yeah. a little, which sounds a little mean to say, but it's absolutely awesome and uh, totally worth playing, even if it, I'm, even if you don't play any other Lufia games, and you pro- honestly, you probably shouldn't play other Lufia games and just go straight to Lufia Two. Yeah, it's a shame. It had a DS remake, but I don't know if that was any it good. It was like a, like a hack and slashy action RPG thing. What? I, I personally didn't like it very much. Oh, I, I never uh, played it. It, it has good it has good music remixes, but I haven't yeah, played it. I've heard people that like it, but I didn't play all the way through it because it just didn't grab me. Um, yeah, the last thing I really want to bring up right now is just the games that split Wolf Team, the Tales of Fantasia and Star Ocean 1. Like, right. those games were mind-blowing for that point in time, and it's hard to acknowledge that in retrospect, because we did get them, like, years after release in the form of fan translations, and, like, eventually in the form of, like, new ports. Um, but, like, for those games to be on Super Nintendo, like, they made... They made... Didn't they make a new memory chip? Um, I don't... I'm not sure. Uh, I know they used a, a, a late-model advanced memory chip for mm. Sales of Fantasia, yeah, but I I don't I I actually all right well okay, I have complicated feelings about those two games. I adore Tales of Fantasia. When I was playing emulated uh, SNES games in the early two thousands, that was absolutely one of my favorites. I, it's 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 really good, uh, but, um, but Tale uh, Star Ocean I. I played Star Ocean 1 on the Super Famicom after I had already finished Star Ocean 2 and really liked Star Ocean 2. And I I found the combat in Star Ocean 1 really hard to get behind. I I and I didn't I never got very far in that game. But I did play the PS1 remake, I'm sorry, PSP remake of Star Ocean 1 several years later and I I did like that one. But the uh but yeah, um Star Ocean, I think Star, I think Star Ocean on the Super Famicom is a bit of a hard sell, but uh, but the PSP remake's good, and Tales of Fantasia is one of my favorite Super Famicom games. Period. That game's awesome. Yeah, Tales of Fantasia was definitely a better complete package, but I do think Star Ocean was, and for the most part, has consistently been a more interesting series. It, and, like, and, and Star Ocean one is ambitious, but as hell, I, I'm yeah. not denying that at all. The yeah. item creation systems, and, like, I know the battle was pretty rough in the SNS version of Star Ocean 1, but, like, it is something you can learn to deal with, and, like, this is the kind of thing you would learn to deal with at the time, and especially when you're dealing with an item creation system that's, like, just so far beyond your ken at that point in time. Like, games, like, I guess Robotrek kind of dove into stuff like that, but that was more about, like, uh, recipes uh, than just, like, making dice rolls and trying to discover, discover like, your own way to make items. Um... But I, I, what I, I just think it's so interesting the way that Wolf Team split over like the development of Tales of Fantasia and like yeah, how you it, can, it, it's you can cool see by, like is behind it's cool behind the scenes drama. <laughs> yeah, well you can see like you can clearly see those teams' design philosophies carrying out throughout the course of like either whatever the Tales of Studio makes and all the weird crap Trice has made, it, some of which is definitely not crap and that's great, <laughs> but um. I don't know. Like that's that's one of the first like cool game development stories I also ever heard. Like as a as a 
uh, gamer. Like that split between uh, Tales of Studio and Trice. Like it's especially when I feel like both turned out so well and like both have like mm-hmm. been bigger than the other at different points in time, you know? But yeah, they, but both of them made independent. Both of them made amazing RPGs in the 2000s for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a good time for everybody, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I'll talk about a couple of my favorite super Nintendo RPGs. Now. Um, the one that, other than Chrono Trigger, the one that stands out the strongest to me is Final Fantasy VI. It's, um, it was not my first Final Fantasy game. That was four, but it, it was the first. Um, it had the first uh, RPG story and RPG plot points that really blew me away. It, uh, its cast of characters is awesome. There's twelve main characters and two secret characters that are a really diverse, fun group, and mechanically. It's rock solid just from a you know navigating menus and point and uh, and and customization stand- standpoint. But each character has a common skill set and a sh- and a unique skill set, which which stands out even today as a really strong setup for uh, for a cast of characters in an RPG. I think I mm-hmm. think Final Fantasy VI is one of the best RPGs of all time. One of the signature games for the Super Nintendo. And uh, oh, and and its soundtrack is I I personally think some of Uematsu's best work. So it's I, I adore Final Fantasy VI. It's it's one of my all time favorites. Which is yeah. funny because I would go the I haven't played six. I'll readily admit that. But that's how <laughs> I feel about four. Is like that. I like the arc of the the characters. I like the sense of adventure. Um, like a lot of times, I feel like a lot of RPGs can have they they like force in a, a huge cast of characters, and you end up only caring about one, two, or three of them. Like it's a very small set, and you always have like your your small party that you could pick from twenty people. But I'm gonna stick with this this party of four. Um, and four, they had characters coming in and out, and each character seemed important. Each character was likable, and each character you ended up caring about, which I I. I, I don't feel like that's something I can commonly say about any game, is that I, I care about a lot of the characters. Um, and that's something I always felt like with 4 that I, I genuinely did. I, I agree about the emotional attachment in 4. Um, but I also think 6 is like a lot more competent in a lot of ways. Like 4 to me is much more, yeah, like a quintessential JRPG and like it set the, the it paved the way for like everything. Like I, that, I just feel like it's like like it itself is like the Mount Rushmore of what it, a JRPG is. Um, I don't know what that means. Wait, I'm yeah, sorry. What does that even mean? Like, <laughs> just forget about it. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I think this is the Mount FF... Rushmore of our conversations. <laughs> FF six, beyond everything Mike said that I totally agree with. Like, and just like the the gravity of that game. Um, beyond even that, like that game kind of became the template of like how to do a JRPG from that point forward. Like so many systems, like subsystems kind of tried to ape or like uh, kind of just twist the knobs on the Esper system. And yeah. like, yeah. And like, they'd be lucky if they kept something similar to the unique character skill system. And in, in that way, like there were just a lot of me too's and like a lot of people just like making games like FF six wrote the formula that future JRPGs 
made their games by. Yeah. And, you know, you want to talk about different types of Final Fantasy systems. FF4 had, you know, unique characters with unique, that were with mostly unique skill sets, and FF6 had unique, a balance of unique skill sets and shared skill sets. The game in between those, Final Fantasy V, swings the other way. It's, um, it's entirely shared skill sets with, those job, with that job system, and it's a really fun incarnation of the Final Fantasy job system. It's mm-hmm. uh, like uh, I, I recently finished playing Bravely Second, and there's a lot of Final Fantasy V DNA in Bravely Second. It's a a really fun job system that's uh, that's awesome to explore. You you're consistently getting the uh, new ones through the first half of the game, and uh, the the story and characters in FF5 I don't think are as cool as FF4 or FF6. Even though mm-hmm. it has uh, even though the main villain I is one of my favorites. I think X Death's a great villain. Yeah, he's he he is cool as hell. Yeah, but uh, it, I don't think the story in FF5 is as good as some of its contemporaries, but the job system is consistently fun to this day. It's a really good execution of that job system. Yeah, I agree. Like, it, when you told me that you were going to be doing the review for Bravely Default, the first thing I asked you, is it is good as FF5? I, well, you know, it, it's yeah, a Bravely yeah. Default. Yeah, yeah, that's I, true. Mm-hmm. All I could ask is, is, is it good enough to make me not just want to play FF5 again? Like, that game... Man, like even today, I will happily play FF5 like once a year. You know, this is sort of funny. Even though if I had to rank four, five, and six, I think I would go in reverse time order. Six is my favorite, then five, then four. But four is actually the one of those three I've played the most because because it's it's out for almost every system. There's like seven versions of it out, and every time a new version of FF4 comes out, I buy it and replay it, and just haven't it's done so- that. And just haven't done that as much with five or six. It's so breezy. You can get that through that game in like a couple of days, and it just feels nice. You can, and I have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the, fi- the run of Final Fantasy games on the Super Nintendo was really strong. But there's, I mean, I think I mentioned earlier there's a uh, there's two F- Dragon Quest games and three Fire Emblem games on the on the SNES, and Dragon Quest Five is maybe my favorite Dragon Quest game. It's either five or eight. And uh, the Fire Emblem games are... It's harder to find a good translation of those, but I think that Fire Emblem 4, which is uh, Seisen no Keifu, or uh, either Generation of the Holy War or Genealogy of the Holy War, I'm not sure which, is is actually a really fascinating design that holds up today. The, the, the first half of the game, you're, you're, uh, you fight this, you know, nation-dividing war, and in the second half... And, and, you can, and, you can, and just like in a lot of Fire Emblem games, you can have your characters hook up and get married. And in the second half of the game, you fight uh, like a resurgence of that war or a resurfacing of the villains from that war as the children from the first generation, of the, the children of the first generation characters, which is a concept that's borrowed in Fire Emblem Awakening and Fire Emblem Fates. But so that's in- really interesting to me because I thought the 3DS games, like that, I thought that was a new system that no, they made. It, no, it's not. It's an, it's an appropriation of, the, of a SNES Fire Emblem game system. And it's a really cool appropriation of it. It's a lot easier to work with than the uh, than how they did it in Fire Emblem Four, but uh, that sounds super advanced for the SNES. Yeah, and it's it's a really good game. the The story is uh, the story is a bit of a hard sell. the uh, The old writer for the Fire Emblem games, who I think stopped writing them after fi- after the SNES era, there's a lot of very uncomfortable situations that happen in the, in that game, especially to to women. But the it, it's 
it's a good Fire Emblem game from a mechanical standpoint and mostly from a story standpoint. But the the one that I actually I played that game with a guide so I could get uh, my characters marrying each other how I wanted them to, and that's actually really important because in the second half, if you have uh, characters, if if you don't have characters get married, then they replace uh, the the children with generics, and the generics oh. are, yeah, and the generics are terrible. But if you um, but the children are almost are almost universally really awesome, and uh, like. Uh, like like my my favorite first generation character has twins in the second generation, and uh you and I used her kids for like they they were my MVPs of the second half of the game. But it, and I know that if I had crappy generics instead of those two, then I would have crashed and burned hard. But other but uh otherwise the but because because I didn't and I and I knew to get her married to someone. I uh, I the second half was easier than the first half, but it, it's it's a it's a very good Fire Emblem game with design ideas that hold up. And if you're Fire Emblem curious, then I recommend you check it out. Fire Emblem Sasen no, so no pay for them. Oh, a little bit. If you're no, Fire it's, Emblem and, curious. Oh, <laughs> well, all right, sure. Uh, but whatever. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a squeaky clean game either. Um. Did you have another one, Mike? Uh, oh, sure. The, 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 there's one that I think all three of us have played. We're all into Super Mario RPG, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Good call. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the only game with Miyamoto and uh, and the Final Fantasy staff in, in the end credits. And it's a, it's a really, really good RPG. And it's, a, it's also an early Yoko Shimomura soundtrack. That's really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And similar to uh, Luvia, too, it gave you something super fun to do in between random encounters. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yeah. Um, basically, incorporating platforming elements into the world map stuff, and having all the characters visible uh, visible on screen, and, and that so you can initiate or avoid encounters if you wanted to, uh, was a great idea that every Mario RPG has continued with going forward. And it's uh, both as a Mario game and as an RPG, uh, it's really great and. Even though I think that game came out in '96, I want to say maybe '97, people have been whining for 20 years why Mallow and Gino haven't shown up in a new game. Uh, yeah, yeah, that I, I wonder that myself. Yeah, uh, Gino, Gino had a cameo in one of the Mario and Luigi games, but I well, think they that made that, a they made a Gino and Me fighter, if I remember correctly. For the oh, Smash cool. Four. Um, oh, awesome. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that. That's great. Uh. I like how Mario RPG, I guess this is like totally uh, of my generation problem, but like that game's like wholly understandable for a child. Like the numbers are so small and digestible and like the math makes sense. And like you can see directly how like defense and offense are proportional to those numbers. Like it's, it's not inflated numbers like Final Fantasy usually does just for the sake of having big numbers, which is cool. I like it. But like as a like a literal Babby's first RPG, like <laughs> Super Mario RPG is like so it it's so pure and good and just nice. And like I guess the time hit system isn't not fun. Like it's consistently cool throughout the game. So yeah, Love and uh, fun secrets. Yeah, it's it's well. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you play uh, the early Shin Megami Tensei games, like one and two? 
I, I did not. Um, I did tr- play a partially translated version of, Shin- of SMT If, uh, which is okay. weird and which is weird and different, and sometimes called Persona Zero for how similar it is to to Persona One and to Persona One. But I, I didn't get very far in that one either. So um, yeah, um, go ahead and tell us about the um, some of the Atlas stuff. Um, so they are like super dungeon crawly and grindy. Like, uh, the battles are kind of quick, but it's it doesn't really save it from that. Like the it's just amazing to me in retrospect, or like playing it when I did, which was like late into my adult life. Uh, like the demon fusion system is like mostly what you expect it to be. Like it has not changed much. Like, since the very first games. And, like, it, it's just really amazing to me. Like, I can't imagine having access to that when I was that age. I feel like I would have endlessly fiddled with fusing demons together and, like, altering my alignment and stuff. Like, which it does have a fairly decent uh, chaotic, neutral, lawful alignment system. Uh, the first two ones do. Um, but, yeah, the, the demon fusions just, like, I think that's the really notable thing about those first two games. And the, I guess the story is, like, really... Weird and dark and occult, which is fun. I like that stuff. Right, right. Um, now, a lot of people like Shin Megami Tensei Three Nocturne, obviously. So, oh, yeah. Do you, Do you think someone that likes Nocturne would be comfortable going back and seeking out uh, of some playable version of SMT One or Two? And would they be Would they be comfortable in it, or would it be a little too dated? You think for someone that was into Nocturne? Because I I'm I'm some I get really leery about old old rpgs that that are sometimes just way too grindy and way and way too you know uh because because I, I don't have as much time as i did when i was younger sure yeah but, but so do you think that um are are they uh either time wise or mechanics wise a little dated or do you think they hold up because I, I i don't know anything about smt one or two um my experience uh was that don't expect like super tight challenging battles like smt3 has um for me it was just kind of like long periods of dungeon crawling really uh, the a plot i was really really into and i was okay with dungeon crawling in between plot segments um and then just just having fun with doom infusion um if that sounds good to you and you're prepared for the dungeon crawling and you're prepared for like a little bit of too many random encounters uh, and like way too much auto battling. Uh, just like brace yourself for that. But if you if you're into if you're feeling a dark cool SMT story, they're definitely worth revisiting. I would say. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I I would I would think about playing those, but I'm I don't know. There's there's too many games I want to play uh, that I've already been planning to anyway. It's. <laughs> See, I've always yeah. wanted to get to any of the SMT games because I've only played Persona games. Oh boy. SMT3 might be my favorite video game. And, and I always get caught Strong up in word. almost exactly what Mike's saying is there's there's so much other things that's going on that it's hard to go back and there's there's such a a wide berth of like games that you could go back to so it kind of makes it difficult to be like well I'm going to pick this one. And then, right. like, not to toot our own horn. That's one of the great things about Retro Encounter. Um <laughs> But it gives you that it gives you like that that motivation that, and a reason to have to go back and play one of them. Right, um, you get the the paralysis of too much choice. Right, absolutely. Like I could I could play anything right now. Well, I don't know which one. And, and yes. to bring it back to the like the Super Nintendo, I mean that's one of those things. Like I 
I missed a generation of gaming for that in a lot of regards. Um, and so then you, you look at it and it's like, there's hundreds of games and there's tens and tens of games that are just superb. And yep. one, of, one of the things that we have not talked about, we have not talked about Zelda on this podcast. Um, <laughs> we, we've talked about talking about Zelda, yes. but he's never actually talked about Zelda. It's one of those things, like you start thinking about it, like we've, we've easily, we have a dozen games that we've named that all of them are superb. There's at least another dozen or two dozen of games that like, I know people are listening to this right now and screaming, why aren't you talking about this? Because this game is fantastic. Um, And, like, bringing it it back to SMT, it's like, there's just so much there, there's a lot to go back to. And and then the terrible or wonderful, like, it's double-edged starts with with this, um, RPGs are typically very long games. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like, hey, you know what, I'm going to sit down for an afternoon, I'm going to tear through this, and I'm going to move on to my next one and just check this off the list. This is this is a week. This is a two week. This is a month time that you have to dedicate to be able to beat these. And you know, you you briefly mentioned Zelda. It, it, we would be we would be remiss not to mention that the Super Nintendo has a link to the past, which is one of the best Zelda games. I it's yeah. it, it's my it's in my th- top three favorites. It set mm-hmm. up the blueprint for everything else. Yeah, I, 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 I'd make the argument. So I mean, it's one of those things. It, it always gets difficult with quality. When you have something that made basically the genre of games, um, but at the very least, it is massively important. And if it's if that type of game is something that you care about, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't experience it. We can we can ignore Zelda like we usually do on this podcast. Cause... <laughs> sure. Well, I, I don't know how much longer we'll be ignoring Zelda, but the <laughs> now, Josh, you've mentioned on several times in this podcast that you're not. Uh, you're not hugely. Um, you didn't play a ton of Super Nintendo RPGs or even Super Nintendo games in general. So, I think I would like to take this opportunity, and Davey, please, uh, you and I both would should take this opportunity to try and convince you to play a couple Super Nintendo classics. Would Would you be interested in that, Josh? So, are we basically you guys are gonna give your sales pitch, and then I give a thumbs up, thumbs down? Sure. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Let's go. Game one. Boom. Okay, uh, D- Davey, you want to go first, or shall I? I think you should go first. Okay, all right. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a game that is a hugely popular, well-known Super Nintendo game that we have not mentioned on this podcast yet, and probably a f- some people listening are probably upset I haven't mentioned it, to- mentioned it yet. Earthbound is an excellent Super Nintendo RPG that is... Is, feels unlike any other RPG I've ever played. It's set in a really weird, cartoony version of the real world that quickly goes into into sort of absurdist uh, regions. Like it, like in the you you end up rescuing one of your party members from a cult that's obsessed with the color blue, even though they all wear purple. Uh, there's a zombie attack that co- that coincides with a UFO attack. And you have to ju- de- uh, defeat a giant puddle of barf to stop the zombies. And Yo. it has th- it has this weird cartoony visual that almost looks like uh, I I I don't think this is my analogy, but some writer said it's like you it's like the Cthulhu mythos or a or like a space horror show infiltrated the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, since it's all these all this very colorful rounded rounded edges. Uh, look that goes into some twisted, insane places, and it's also one of the funniest scripts I've ever read. Like it's, yeah, it, 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 it's so funny and weird that uh, people have been like have been telling Earthbound jokes for decades on the internet. 
There's a magical talking dog named Rafini. It's possessed by the spirit of the game developers to teach you how to use an ATM. Yep. Oh, and um, uh, uh, you one of the status effects that you get is homesickness, where uh, Ness, the main character, will just like will just like sit and pout during battle if he hasn't talked if he hasn't called home in a while. So you have to call mom to cure yourself of ho- of homesickness. And uh, your and and your dad is around. Like uh, your house is only you. Uh, your mom and I think your dog, but uh, and your dad is always working and and you never get to see him. But he uh, but he sends you money that you can pick up at an ATM and uh, whenever you call him and you call your dad to save. But it's it's it it does so many strange things like like uh, you can call a, the you can call a pizza delivery service and have them deliver you a pizza no matter where you are whether you're in a cave or in a town or anything. But when I think you start going into like imaginary realms and like other dimensions, they can't deliver pizzas to you there. Uh, <laughs> it's like it, it's a completely crazy RPG that is um, that has a lot of heart and goes to some really strange places. And I think that anyone that's interested in RPGs of this era needs to play Earthbound. All right, it's so a, it's a trip. First of all, that that's just cheating. You can't pick Earthbound. <laughs> Why not? Have you played Earthbound? <laughs> no, but I desperately want to. So you get a thumbs up because I already want to play it. But instead of like for the official thumbs up, thumbs down for who wins overall with better recommendations. I oh, have... I didn't know. I didn't know this was a competition. Oh, everything's okay. a competition with me. Um, <laughs> we're gonna have to kind of spin it differently. So I'll rate you on whether or not you did a good job explaining it. And I'll overall give you a thumbs up because you mentioned pizza and zombies and. Homesickness. So all three of those things are well represented in Earthbound. Thumbs up on Earthbound. All right, David, you do you want to cheat and just pick a? Are you gonna bring up Zelda again? Like, <laughs> I I'm not gonna do that. Um, no. So I know that you have been known to enjoy a good strategy RPG, and uh-huh. I, I thought I would pitch to you a game by the name of Bahamut Lagoon, in which imagine in a strategy RPG. If your unit that you moved around tile by tile was actually a small party, like imagine like a party from a Final Fantasy game, and when you attack someone, you play out a couple turns in a real-time battle or like an active time battle, like you would in Final Fantasy, and that's your basic attack. Does that interest you? Are you, are you, are you on the hook right now? Uh, you're, you're, no, 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 I, no. I, tell tell them how those parties move around, Davy. <laughs> You you move around like a tactics RPG. It's like, but in addition to those parties, you also have dragon units that you raise by feeding items, and it increases their stats and teaches them new skills. And their skills are kind of like it's like having like a, a, a godlike unit on the battlefield that flies around and can shoot spells like a mage would in FF Tactics, if you can imagine that. So they're kind of like your mage units, while everyone else like has like infantry and infantry combat. I'm, nah. gonna, I'm gonna give it like a slight thumbs up. Come on, man, that's an awesome thing. It's uh, kind of it's kind of a lot like what Devil Survivor does. If you've ever played that. Nope. Um. Well, okay. I I can vouch for Bahamut Lagoon. I never finished it, but I did get pretty far before getting stuck. It's it's a very good strategy RPG from that era. And, uh, like, feeding your dragons to make them stronger and designing parties to be, you know, balanced or super offensive or super defensive is really, really fun. And also, um, I, I think, is your base, your base is an airship, right? 
Hell yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and in between fights, you can go around and talk to everyone on your airship and see all the ridiculous relationship stuff that's going on. Like, uh, let, let, like you have two Lancers on your team that are always playing pranks on each other. And uh, there's there's one dude that has like a di- uh, a different crush on a different one of your female characters every time. It's it has a it has a lot of character and it's uh, and it is a fun um, strategy RPG that stands on its own as a game. It's it's a good one. I'm in, I'm intrigued by the dragons. The dragons are pretty awesome. The dragons are great. I'll give you a half a thumbs up, which rounds up to a full thumbs dude, up. Think think about it. You feel so cool when you shoot a spell at a ground unit, and then it hits that entire party, and like all the party members lose HP, and you're like, "Ha ha, sucker!" You move everyone else in to take them out. Man. It's it's a lot of fun. It's also not that long. I that I should have said that. Oh, I see. It's like twenty five hours long. A full yeah. Thumbs up then. Yeah, that's it's it's like twenty five hours long. It's not that bad. All right, Mike. I've, game two. I've, okay. Well, this is like game two A and two B because it's really it's really just a two game series. Uh, no. All right. All right. All right. I was gonna talk about Tactics Ogre and Ogre Battle, but I'm instead I'll just talk about Tactics Ogre. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll, all right, I'll, I'll I'll do a correction. See, you're already, those... you're already cheating though because you've talked to me enough. Your naming games <laughs> that I want to play. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, uh, well, which one should I talk about then? Um. Well, all right. I'll, Tactics I'll, Ogre. I'll... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ta- Tactics yeah. Ogre. Tactics Ogre is made by the Quest team that was eventually sort of absorbed into Square. So and uh, and that team went on to make uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story and Final Fantasy Twelve. Among a couple other things, I think. But anyway, this, Tactics Ogre is very similar to Final Fantasy Tactics. Sometimes it's even called Final Fantasy Tactics Zero. And in that it has sort of that isometric view with ele- with elevation with elevation based squares instead of a flat grid of squares like a like an old Fire Emblem game or like Bahamut Lagoon. Um, but it it's basically uh, it basically it employs a system where you, you move characters around and have them strategically, you know, uh, attack and perform skills just like FF Tactics, but what's really interesting about it is that there are branching story pathways, and um, and you can influence your character's attitude and even stats by uh, by having its its fortune read at the beginning of the game, it, and the and the the classes themselves go to some pretty crazy lengths like a uh, oh uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I still, like, the starting archer class is so good that I use them through the whole game, but by the end of the mm-hmm. game, you're getting, you're getting into some crazy angels and demons stuff that yep. is, is not adequate, uh, that I can't adequately explain here. But it's a really fun class system, really fun branching storyline system, and uh, the 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 story, I've only played through part of the, uh, uh, part of the PS1 port of the SNES game. And I, uh, what I really want to do is uh, go through the PSP version that was recent, that was released, I think, five or six years ago, because the, because that that one looks like the version that is the best one to play. But it's yeah, it's it's very different. It, there's, oh, it is really yeah. Well, it in terms of mechanics in the job system, it's very different. Um, okay. Also, very very cool in the way that it's different. Um, I still think the original is cool to consider on its own, though. Yeah, and and Ogre Battle, even though it's ostensibly in the same series as Tactics Ogre, is so different 
because it has a, a party organization system, kind of like Bahamut Lagoon, but it's in real time, and yet it almost it's almost like playing a real time strategy game, sending mm-hmm. units around and seeing them encounter enemy parties. It's they're both really different and really good, but I think Tactics Ogre is the one that feels a little bit more modern, modern and easier to get into. You you forgot to mention that basic uh, soldiers can throw throw stone. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they can throw stones. Uh, I'm sure you're used to that. Um. Man, I had another selling point on Tactics Ogre, and now it's slipping me. I feel so bad. It, it's a really good game. Yeah, it's so Tactics Ogre is going to be a game that we for sure cover on this podcast. That, that There's enough, just like everybody seems to love that game. And then uh, Tactics went so well with the podcast. I would be mm-hmm. dumbfounded if we never make our way at some point to Tactics Ogre. Robert Robert Steinman, who is uh, the host of Random Encounter, RPG's RPG fans flagship podcast. Uh, is it flagship really? It's the one that's it's the only one with over a hundred episodes. Okay, that's fair. Uh, he played Tactics Ogre for the first time, either last year or the year before. I'm not sure exactly when. And he liked it so much that he still bugs me about playing it whenever whenever. Uh, strategy rpgs the subject of strategy rpgs seems to comes up uh comes oh. up he gets really excited talking about tactics ogre it's a by all accounts a really really good strategy rpg i can't remember if they kept it in the psp version but in tactics ogre you when you're on a city you can decide to have a, like a scrimmage against your own army you can split it up instead of using an army of 10 you can do like five and five or you can have like backup units to throw on and you can like fight each other for xp but you can also do it two-player, so you can have like a little competitive match. And like when I played Tactics Ogre, me and my wife each like took control of raising five characters and would play through the game like when we were home and free or whatever. And like every time we our times overlapped, we'd like fight each other's armies, and it was really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a fun story. Sorry. All right, thumbs up, Davey. Game two. You better get this, or else you're gonna lose. All right. Um, for the try here. So. I'm going to talk to you about a game called Front Mission Gun Hazard. It's kind of like an early Metroidvania game in that you're gaining levels, you're leveling up the parts you're using on your robot, and you're moving around in like an action RPG kind of thing. And it is like a side-scrolling RPG, much in the way like a, uh, you would expect a Metroidvania to be, but you have like Instead of a double jump, you have like sick Vernier thrusters that you can upgrade and use better ones as you level up. And like you also get like robot punch hand, robot shotgun, uh, robot rocket. You can uh, you get a dash unit too. So like you can use the so and the the coolest thing about front mission gun hazard is you start off like just like a little machine gun, no dash unit, no cool booster jets. And by the end of the game, you're like literally playing almost entire stages using the jump button to thrust your verniers and like have epic dog fights in the skies against other robots and like you'll even fight bosses up there like on top of like giant battleships that are flying through the sky it's epic and awesome and fast-paced and like way easier to go back to than most SNES RPGs just because the action is so frenetic and like the basic leveling up system is so good nice thumbs up all right so we have a tie I could be cheap on this or I thought of since I don't think you guys have an additional game that each of you thought of did you now, well, in the interest of time, we each pick two. Okay. Well, for a tiebreaker, you guys have five seconds to name a game really quickly. One, two, three, 
Dragon Quest Six. Secret of Mana Two. Wow, well, both suck. Never... I don't like either of those games, so you guys both I'm... lose. Oh man, how do you not like Second Two? Second and Sister Three rules, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, I um. I'm voting for Davy just because he picked a better oh, game. Than I was gonna say Davy overall. <laughs> before even the tiebreaker, Davy did a better job of not picking games that everybody would pick. So, Davy wins. Uh, I'm I'm just such a basic bitch that I lose. You picked Earthbound. <laughs> you yeah. haven't played Earthbound, and we if hadn't I, talked about it yet. If I really wanted to win, I would have laid into how crappy Earthbound is to actually play through. Like the encounters in that game are really, really not fun. But they ask what your favorite food is. It it gets a lot better once you get uh, three characters on your team. It's really rough in the first hour or two when it's only Ness and then for a while only Ness and Paula. But it it gets better. Like the flow and pace of the game get better in the second half. Now, you want to talk about a game with terrible pacing and encounters. Mother One is oh, yeah. is is a pile of garbage. I it, it does cool story <laughs> stuff. It does cool story stuff, but you, like it is so miserable to play through that I wholeheartedly recommend reading a Wikipedia article about Mother One and not playing it. So I want to bring up. I just noticed a theme in all these games we had. We just pitched to Josh. All like, of them are from Square. No, uh, Earthbound. Earthbound isn't. Almost all of them are from Square. Yeah, almost all of them were crap. Sure. Yeah. Um, none of them have traditional random encounters like the way you'd expect a JRPG of that era to. It's almost like the random encounter isn't as good as I don't know retro encounter. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Serious shade. <laughs> but you start like a rat feud. You got to be careful, man. <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, no comment on jo- on Josh's assertion there, but uh, but Davey, I think you ha- you're onto something. Um, like the old system of random encounters feels like a dated, busted system in 2016. It's 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 annoying having exploration interrupted at random times with combat, even when even when combat is fun or good or necessary. Yeah. So I, I think that the best, I mean, RPGs nowadays would would never use a random encounter system unless it had a twist, like when Bravely Default lets you turn random encounters um, either on or off or at double rate. <laughs> or like Undertale. Or, or, yeah, or like Undertale where they're, um, where, oh, I, I don't know. Like uh, under, Undertale, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Undertale subverts the idea of random encounters and random encounters in a fascinating way that we won't get into. But, uh, yeah, in in mod- for a modern RPG, having a regular ass random encounter system wouldn't work. And uh, so the some of the RPGs from the SNES era that stand out as special to us are the ones that don't use random encounters, except FF6, which is great. They future proof well, themselves almost. In a way, it's something they probably didn't even realize that they were they were testing out the boundaries and testing out different things but in a lot of ways by having that they future proof themselves so they could be experienced and enjoyed later on and i should mention ff6 does have an item that lets you turn off random encounters in in the later part of the game which is great more more than that ff6 has like kind of a a peanut butter to the chocolate in the form of the esper system you and peanut butter somebody get that kid a reese's because that's a (laughs) you know i do like a reese's reese's cups are freaking delicious (laughs) all right um 
But, like, in the way that in between random encounters, like, you want to jump into that menu and, like, check your espers and, like, see how you're leveling up and, like, you have something to do. And, like, it was how we were talking about with Super Mario RPG and with Lufia and, uh, you know, like, games like that. They would put something in between the random encounters to entice you so that you wouldn't mind as much, like, going to a random encounter because you just got a cool, fun break from them. Um, whereas, like, a lot of the other games we brought up today just had, like, totally different systems, like Front Mission Gun Hazard, Tales of Fantasia, Star Ocean, like... They Tales, encounter- Tales of Fantasia does have random encounters, yeah. and they get really annoying sometimes. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, what made those games memorable is, like, the battle systems were just so different, and, like, they stood out in that way. I, like, I, it, love, I love combat in Tales of Fantasia so much. It's great. Like, at some point, I kind of feel like after FS4, people were like, man, these guys did it. Let's let's do something different. Yeah. Is that yeah. just me? Oh, I guess Dragon Quest is uh, examples. Dragon Quest did the opposite. same thing forever. Yeah. Uh, no, we're not going yeah, to argue about today. I'm not going to argue about it today, but I still like Dragon Quest. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to diss Dragon Quest. I think... I think they've perfected a system and they've done a very good job with it and in, in a lot of ways now since it is old it's new again because we've moved so far away from it and it is yeah. refreshing um, yeah. but Dragon Quest is a topic for another day um, sure yeah I I will I will pro- if we ever sign up to talk about a Dragon Quest game I will probably try to get on that podcast cuz I love Dragon Quest but that but and Dragon Quest 5 and 6 on the Super Famicom are excellent and it's worth picking up the DS versions of those two games. But don't get but, four because it's bad. No, no, four is good too. I think four is I think terrible. I think four is probably I like four more than six actually. But five five is the real winner of those three. I was about to say, can you like? Do you really think I would enjoy playing that game? Like knowing me, and I'm, I'm asking this um, seriously. Don't play like, four. Like I played the only only Dragon Quest I played was seven, and like I gave up about fifteen, maybe twenty hours in. Like it was not pushing any seven. buttons for me. Seven is the actual okay. Um, numbered one through nine, I've beaten every Final Fan. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> slow, let me slow down. If it was the nineties, you could kill for that, man. Okay. okay. Well, one through nine, I have beaten every Final Fantasy game as well. But one through nine, I've beaten every Dragon Quest game except for seven because seven you... is the or the PS1 version of seven is so slow moving, and and boring that I could not finish it. And um but I have resolved to get the three DS version when it comes out and try and give it another shot. You but, really beat Final Fantasy two? Yeah I did. I beat the oh. um I beat the GBA version of it. Word is it different? Not different enough. It's still the worst Final <laughs> Fantasy game. Alright. Yeah. I I don't, I don't have many nice things to say about FF two for the NES slash GBA. But anyway, um Dragon Quest five uh, I think represents one of the best hero's journeys in video game history. It's uh, it's a little bit slow moving at first, but it um, you, you play as the main character from a point when he's a very small child, then as a teenager, and then as a married man, because you, uh, you meet, uh, depending on which version you play, you meet either two or three women and you get to marry one of them. Yeah, which is fascinating. Five which is, is really cool. interesting. Yeah, I... and, then, and, then, and then later you get to play... Uh, as your your final party basically is you, your wife, and your two children. Yeah, and super um, cool. yeah, and like you, the whole hero's journey of the main character and what he goes through, avoiding spoilers, even though the game is from like 1994 or something, uh, 
is really awesome. It's my favorite main character of, of any Dragon Quest game. And the the uh, admittedly the combat is a little rote. It uses a very early one of the first games where you get to recruit monsters into your party. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, and because you only get I think maybe four or five oh, human, which, human characters total. Totally, we talked about Lufia too. Didn't even mention the capsule oh, monsters. Oh shoot! Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, in, in Lufia too. There's eight cap- capsule monsters that you can recruit and feed them Fumi. items and make them grow stronger. The first one's named Fumi, which is just hilarious. And well, yeah, Lufia Two is great. We should we should just do Lufia Two on this. Podcast. It's, it's so much. Except the the bummer about Lufia Two is that it does have that that Suicoden thing going on where the translation screwed up some boss yeah. fights. And I'm right. I'm well, whatever. That Dragon Quest Five is good. I'm confident Lufia 2 is good. that we have forgotten lots of games that people would like to uh, talk about. So please no. go onto the boards, um, RPGFan.com, and uh, tell us what we forgot. Oh, we, we, can you give me 30 minutes to talk about Seventh Saga first? Nope. A- and Breath of Fire 2? Nope. Wait, oh, are you being man. serious? I'm willing to give you 30 I didn't, seconds. No. I, didn't, I didn't bring up Brandish, and it, it hurts my soul a little bit. Uh, I'll I just say, go play Brandish. Everybody, right now, go play Brandish. It's no, fun. No, no, no. Finish it's the podcast just, first. It's just fun. Well, oh, okay. no, no. Before you play Brandish, go and play Act Razor, made, from, made by Ooh. Enix, early 90s. It's like, like half, half adventure platformer, half strategy shooter half oh, rpg God. game ah act razor's yeah. great man man there's a lot of weird stuff we should like make a guide or something to weird good stuff we, even did, an episode, we did an episode about terra enigma and we haven't talked about that at all yet yeah well i feel like we covered terra enigma okay okay <laughs> yeah, we, we still like three podcasts there's on terra three episodes <laughs> about terra enigma i actually learned a lot about terra enigma on those podcasts that was a good experience um hey. brain lord was a super weird game arcana Dungeon Master, which Ar- became... Arcana is terrible. I hated that it's, game. But the music was cool, and I'd never played a first-person dungeon crawler before, okay, so I thought right. that was novel. <laughs> well, I, I rented Arcana for two weeks when I was 10, and I hated it. It's hard. It's... Yeah. Well, maybe it's if you did games, you'd have enjoyed it. Maybe. It definitely has a character there. named Tifa in it, like, five years before FF7. I had to see what the internet was thinking. Super weird. Lots of people like Breath of Fire 1 and 2 for some reason. I, I okay. I do like Breath of Fire two. Breath of Fire two is the only Breath of Fire game I finished. But it's, it's all right. It, no, it, it, it's okay. It's not as it's good as right. the, yeah. It's not as good as the RPGs we've been talking about in greater detail. Agreed. I'm sorry. This, oh. There's a lot of these games. I just I just like oh. as soon as I look at this list, I want to play like three of these at any given point. <laughs> yeah, you so- want to talk about a weird one? Secret of Evermore is a game that was made by the SquareSoft staff. In the United States, that normally publish Square's games. So weird and interesting. Yeah. And it, cool. It's the American SquareSoft game. <laughs> yeah. So Davey that just a... touched on this, but the dirty secret about this podcast is Davey made up a list of I don't know, like a hundred games. And the original idea was like, hey, let's talk about every game. Like, let's do each game like a couple minutes. I'm like, no, we're not doing a five-hour <laughs> <No>. <laughs> podcast. Um, okay, we probably are already around two hours, aren't we? We're only an hour and ten. Oh, okay, that's not so bad. Yeah, no, that doesn't mean you're, I'm going to give you another half an hour, but... No, no, um, <laughs> no, you're going to give us another three hours and 50 minutes, so we get up to five, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we have we have a podcast that we're recording this month that will probably be a two- to three-hour podcast. This is not that one. Um, uh, but, yeah, we would love to hear everybody's opinions out there. We, I'm confident that we forgot some of your favorites. We'd love to hear you. First of all, what you enjoyed, why, and... We'd love to hear your opinions. Um, as always, you guys can jump on the boards, like I mentioned earlier. You can talk to us on Twitter. Um, 
you can jump onto iTunes and give us those wonderful reviews. Um, I know we are also in the currently in the process of getting on Google Play, so that should be happening relatively soon. Hopefully by the time you guys hear this, we are available there. But if you're already listening to us, you probably already have a way of listening to us. It doesn't matter, but whatever. It's there. Wait, so if, they, if, they, if people can reach out to us on Twitter, how do they do that, Josh? They can look up my name and find me. No. Um, oh. I, I'm on Twitter at uh, JD Curry, J-D-C-U-R-O-Y. And I'm also on Twitter at The Real Monsoon. And not the I fake one. At... No, no, no. The, the fake monsoon is unverified. You, you want, you want <laughs> at the real monsoon. I am at Davy underscore Kaze, D-A-V-I-K-A-Z-E. See, really? What? Never, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. Never mind. I, I'm confused it's myself. The, it's the Japanese word for wind, right? Yes, I, I, it is. I wasn't listening well enough, and I spelled it differently in my head from what I heard. Or Yeah. Yep, and that's going to do it for us. <laughs> Um, like uh, I said, just reach out to us somehow. We'd love to hear what you guys, what your favorite games are. Um, in the meantime, during the month of May, we are playing Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. As I've said, I think I feel like I've said that a lot of times. So hopefully, you guys have heard it at some point. Um, everybody, get excited because you finally get to listen to me have to talk about Zelda. Um, so at the very least, that will be entertaining. Yeah, I have yeah, not but... played Majora's Mask, so I'm really interested to see uh, what everyone thinks about it on the podcast. The f- first minute of it's really pretty. Looks good on that 3DS. Cool. You've only played one minute and then you couldn't handle it anymore? Yeah, I made it to... Uh, I had a control link, and I was like, no, done with this. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be uh... a fun month. So get excited, everyone. Um, but in the meantime, that is going to do it for us here at Retro Encounter. Thank you for listening to what is arguably the best podcast in RPG fan. Let's arguably. not have that argument. Let's sure, not have sure. that argument. Yeah, let's let's not. <laughs> okay. So, but Mufia Two was like Wild Arms before Wild Arms. <laughs> it had all the systems that you'd expect from like a level five game on the PS2. Like, man, <laughs> I tried to tell you it's important. <laughs> Davey, you have to have a pause so that it's easy for Mike to edit. (laughs) I'm sure I'll manage just fine, guys. (laughs)